Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. And coming up, episode four of Meet the Customer. Here's Adam Davidson. Yeah, we're looking at two 3,300-liter copper vats. Mateo Keeler is showing off two massive, gorgeous copper vats. They're maybe three times bigger than a typical hot tub. But uh, uh, they're uh, reconditioned vats. They're uh, made in the 80s. They produced like millions of pounds of cheese. Mateo, along with his brother Andy, run Jasper Hill Farms in Greensboro in northern Vermont. Back when they started, back in 2003, fine cheese, high-quality cheese, the kind that sells for 30 bucks a pound, was pretty much a European thing. You bought brie from France, parmesan from Italy, gouda from Holland. There were a small handful of fine cheesemakers in the U.S., but very few. Jasper Hill was part of a revolution. There are now hundreds of world-class cheesemakers in the U.S. And to make cheese this good, the kind that wins awards, and Jasper Hill has won nearly all of them, is very slow, very difficult. Yes, I mean, milk really was never intended to exist outside of a mammal, right? So... um, you know, we think about uh, processing like as fresh milk as we can possibly get, which means that our logistics are not as efficient as they could be because we are picking up milk from all these farms, you know, uh, shortly after it's produced. So it goes from like cow to fat in hours? Uh, This morning, we processed milk that was produced uh, yesterday morning and yesterday evening. It was picked up um, around uh, 1.30 a.m., right? And uh, so, you know, the oldest milk that we process is less than 24 hours old. Once the milk gets into vats, the hard work just begins. A fine cheese tastes and smells and feels the way it does because of a symbiotic relationship between the milk proteins and the microorganisms, little healthy bacteria and fungi that eat the milk protein and transform it either into rich deliciousness or, if you do the job poorly, into nasty waste. Jasper Hill makes a bunch of wonderful cheeses. Several are what's called alpine cheese, fairly firm with incredible, subtle flavors. Their Alpha Tolman is probably my favorite. It's a bit sweet and salty with some bitterness and spiciness. Each bite is, is a little different. Sometimes I get these tastes that are almost like a creme brulee, sweet with a hint of burnt sugar. Other times it It's richer, more like a French onion soup. Jasper Hill cheeses have the feel of something ancient. It makes me think of what a miracle cheese must have been when it was first made thousands of years ago. It allowed hunter-gatherers to have a rich, delicious source of protein that would last the whole winter. When we make cheese here, 
uh, and we're ready to mold um, cheese, we ring this bell behind you and um, we shout, uh, something new is waiting to be born. You do that every day? And then we uh, transfer the- Can you ring the bell? Yeah, let's ring the bell, ready? Something new is waiting to be born. Wow, you do that every time. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. It's, uh, you know, that uh, cry has been going on for thousands of years. Wow. Like giving birth, each cheese becomes its own thing. No two are alike. It can be amazing tasting Alpha Tolman that was made on, say, a Tuesday eight months ago, and then tasting the stuff made on the very following day. You taste some real similarities, but also real difference. Matteo likes to say that wines have a vintage every year, cheese has a vintage every day. There are so many variables that impact how the final cheese will taste. What kind of bedding was the cow sleeping on? What was the cow eating that day? Was it fresh grass or dried hay? What was the temperature on the day the milk was poured into a vat? Who was working that shift? Was it raining like crazy the day they put the fresh cheese in the aging cave, adding a ton of humidity? Or was it a hot, dry day? All of these questions guide you to the difference between artisanal and mass-manufactured foods. Mass-produced foods are designed to be consistent. Every single batch tastes exactly like every other batch, even if they were made a decade apart in different factories. That's the key benefit of mass-produced food. That's what they're going for. But Jasper Hill cheese, like most artisanal food, changes. And our job really is to understand our customers and their preferences so that we can uh, select batches of cheese that meet their expectations day in, day out. We think it's much more difficult to sell a cheese that has a single profile because um, we're not able to really tell the story of the work that we do here um, and um, kind of reveal some of the magic and the complexity behind um, our our products if they were all if they all tasted exactly the same like every day um, we celebrate variation within a bandwidth of quality right so within this high quality um, band you can have variation and in so doing take the opportunity to connect uh, and to have a conversation with your customers about uh, batches and profiles and get to know each other and the cheese over time in a very unique way. Why am I going so deep into this one cheese company, into the way that milk becomes cheese and that cheese changes over time? It's because of what Matteo just said. They are not selling cheese, not just cheese. They are selling a story. They are selling a whole journey from the fields and the hay beds to the cow, to the milk, to the copper vat, to the aging caves, to the mature and individually distinct cheese that's sitting right in your mouth at this moment. They are inviting their customers to join them in that journey, to learn about that journey, 
by noting how the cheese tastes different each time and to start to be sensitive to all the different stuff that's going into the cheese. What influences it? How does it work? But it's hard because most customers, well, they buy cheese in the store. They don't enroll in a course on cheese making or spend hours learning how Jasper Hill puts its cows to bed. So the main way Jasper Hill makes sure the people eating its cheese get the right experience is by selling through specialty cheese shops. Shops that employ trained cheese experts, cheesemongers. These cheeses work best when there's somebody behind the counter uh, who's giving you a taste of the cheese and the story. Uh, the context of uh, that experience uh, really wins people's hearts and palates over. Uh, you know, there's nothing better than tasting cheese with a cheesemonger in a cheese shop, somebody that uh, can, like, uh, bring you along. And for, you know, 20 bucks a pound uh, for the cheese, you get a great piece of cheese and an awesome story, right? And it helps you kind of know how to think about, like... Yeah. So when I talk about Alpha Tolman with a cheesemonger, I'm not just talking about the flavor profile of a batch. I'm talking about how this cheese works within the context of our business and bringing uh, a, a cheesemonger in to the inner workings of the company. What we're looking at here in this vault is really like a piggy bank of cheese. You know, this is a store of value. Uh, cheese is a form of capital. Uh, cheese is a, uh, a vehicle to really like start talking about all kinds of uh, community building, about the economic uh, drivers of like daring on the landscape. Uh, the value that's represented here in this vault uh, full of cheese uh, represents a massive amount of landscape uh, maintenance and services. All the acres that all those cows are on, all the, all the hay that was uh, harvested uh, in summer. When I talk to a cheesemonger, I tell them, you know, uh, what we do is we, we, we bottle up sunlight in the form of a cheese. You know, we're harvesting grass in summer, uh, you know, putting it uh, through the still, which is a cow, uh, concentrating, uh, you know, proteins in the vat, uh, taking the cheese and putting it in darkness, and uh, waiting for that sunlight in the summer to like reveal itself like months later, right? And when you cut uh, open a piece of uh, Alpha Tolman like this, what you're really tasting is summer grass. Cheese, cheese is def uh, specifically uh, my expertise. Uh, I've been working with cheese for uh, about almost 13 years now. Uh, as a cheesemonger, I'm a CCP, they call it, which is kind of like, you know, uh, the Psalm one and a half of cheesemongering, I would characterize. What is it? Cheese uh, champion? Certified cheese professional. I'm certified like champion. That's cheese champion over all the people, CCP. Yeah. Rich Mario is a cheesemonger and the chief cheese buyer at Daedalus an amazing wine and cheese specialty shop in Burlington, Vermont. I've spent a fortune there. I went to him to see what it's like getting cheese from a real trained monger. 
Well, the truth is, I already knew because I do buy a lot of cheese from Mongers right there at Daedalus, but I wanted to record it. So Rich brought out a lovely, small, bright white cheese. And this is actually a pretty special case, this first one. So this is a Bloomy Rhine cheese. Uh, as, as you probably know, um, Bloomy Rhines are, uh, uh, the most classic examples are Camembert and Brie. So, um, yeah, they are soft, creamy inside, soft, kind of a white, inside, white f- fungal outside. Thing. Yep, yep, exactly. And Bloomy Rhines, because that white fluffy uh, mold exterior uh, blooms on the outside as the cheese develops. One day it just kind of looks like a little... Uh, you know, piece of queso fresco, and then next you have something that's coated in fuzz. You pat that down, eventually you get a rind. Yeah. Great. And that's a key part of the flavor. People Correct. sometimes yes. try and cut around it. it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, eat the rinds, everybody. Mmm. Oh, that's really nice. So this is, um, this is a cheese called Baron by God. So kind of toward the exterior, you have those most classic brie flavors, that kind of like button mushroom, that butter, um, that like very slight kind of cruciferous veg kind of earthiness, right? Um, so definitely delicious. Like I really like it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot going on. I, but I would use, I guess, vaguer words. Although, I mean, I love everything you say, but mm-hmm. I don't get... I, I don't even know how to get buttony mushroom and cruciferous. Um, I mean, I think the answer is to eat it so much that you're like, okay, but now what does it really specifically taste like? But, 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 um, if I was on the counter and I was talking to someone who, you know, was like, hello, I'm not, not a cheesemonger. I'm a regular guy. Because, you know, obviously they would announce that. Um... Uh, I would, you know, describe this as like, well, if you like brie, it has that richness. It's super buttery, although I often will try to avoid the word buttery specifically. But it's like, I think there are market studies saying buttery is the single thing that sells the most cheese as a descriptor. Rich explained that this is a complicated dance. The cheesemonger has all this special knowledge and experience, and they want to help people decide what cheese they want to buy. But if they flaunt that knowledge, it can have a damaging effect. I asked Rich a question I've wanted to ask cheesemongers for a long time. What are they thinking when they talk to people, people like me, who love cheese but are pretty ignorant about it? Are you judging us? What? Um, No. um, A little bit. I mean, do I think that, like, do I expect people to know the same amount about cheese that a guy whose job is to know about cheese, that sentence was a grammatical mess. Um, No, I would say as a discipline, is like, don't make the people feel bad for not being cheesemongers. It'll, because it won't work. Um, It will just make people not want to go to the cheesemongers. So we're very conscious of not, like, trying to seem judgy. Um, I'm not in every single person's head, but you don't want to shame people out of ever buying cheese at a counter again. This issue, whether people buy cheese at a cheese counter from a trained cheese professional or just pick some up at the store, turns out to be a major one for Rich and for Jasper Hill and probably for you too. There is a big term that economists use to describe much of the current economy, disintermediation. It describes an industry in which there used to be someone or some company in between the folks who make a product and the folks who buy a product. And more and more, that middle person, that intermediary, 
is disappearing or changing. So, like, when I was a kid, you could only get news from a major news company like CBS TV or the New York Times. Now you can get it from tweets written by a friend or a stranger or Facebook posts from your uncle. Now, some of those are great. Some of those are terrible. That's kind of the point. Disintermediation changes everything about the way you consume something. Now, today you still mostly can only buy new cars from certified dealers for the big car companies, but there's a big push to sell direct to consumers. You know, companies like Tesla want you to buy online and then they'll deliver the car to your home like an Amazon package. You'll never walk into a dealership or deal with a car salesman. People never used to buy stocks and bonds on their own. They'd always go through a broker. Now they do it all the time through all these easy-to-use trading tool sites. And on and on and on, computer sales and medical devices, booking travel online, all of those used to have specialized salespeople that you bought from, and now most people just buy the stuff on their own. In every case, there are benefits of disintermediation and there are huge problems, just as there are benefits and downsides to having trained salespeople guide you through a purchase. As a general rule, you have access to a lot more stuff for a lot less money, you have access to a lot more information, and that's really good as an informed consumer. On the other hand, you also have access to a lot of junk a lot of worse stuff, a lot of deceptive practices. And if you're not careful, that's way worse as a consumer. Jasper Hill wants to grow. They want to sell more cheese. They're already pretty much saturated in the specialty cheese shops. They're in just about every shop in America that has a cheesemonger. So the only way for them to grow will be through selling through grocery stores and selling online and other places where regular, non-expert cheese eaters buy stuff. So what do you do? How do you replace that cheesemonger who spent a decade or more mastering their understanding of cheese? Well, Matteo says he's not fundamentally worried. Yes, he really hopes consumers become more expert in his field. Yes, he hopes that they will learn his story. Yes, he hopes they will see cheese as not just a product you buy and eat, but as a part of your life, a whole part of how you define yourself and how you connect yourself to the geography of the world. But, he says, to get that, there's actually something way simpler. People just have to experience how good it is to eat a piece of carefully made artisanal cheese. And, he says... He's seen this process before. And like good coffee or good chocolate, good bread, you know, it's one of those things that once you discover um, that an incredible loaf of sourdough um, bread is or a really special cup of coffee, uh, it's hard to go back to the gas station squill. In fact, you might not be able to do that. It's like a one-way uh, ladder in lots of ways. It really is about uh, switching uh, people on. So if somebody has an experience uh, with like a traditional uh, English cloth-bound cheddar and they get switched on, we know that eventually they will uh, discover uh, Jasper Hill cheese, cheeses. And same when um, you know we are able to switch uh, somebody on by turning them onto Harbison or like Alpha Tolman, 
uh, we know that they're going to uh, eventually discover like Neil's Yard Dairy, like Somerset Cheddars, right? And we're all kind of in this together to grow real cheese. Um, you know, that uh, rising tide lifts uh, all ships in a way. Um, we uh, see standardization and like the industrialization and the corporatization of uh, real food as being like the biggest challenge to storytelling within uh, the framework in the market for real cheese. Meet the Customer is brought to you by Salesforce Customer 360. Salesforce unites all of your teams, marketing, sales, service, commerce, and IT around a single shared view of your customer on one integrated platform. And the result, your employees have all the information they need to do their best work and wow your customers at every opportunity. So to learn more about what Salesforce Customer 360 can do for your business, visit salesforce.com slash 360. Meet the Customer is a production of Salesforce Studios, hosted by Adam Davidson and Jane Marie, produced by Little Everywhere, additional production from Rachel Levin and Courtney Eltinge of Salesforce Studios. I'm Michael Revo. Thanks for listening.